0: have a seat. First of all, I want to say thank you. I know last week my brother spoke, and y'all were very gracious and generous. I don't know that that means as much to y'all as it means to me, In the restoration that we see God doing in our family right now. Um, In the loss of my dad, it did create a good bond between my brothers and I, and um, for many of you that have known me, um, our family's been very scattered for a long, long time, And, and so I'm just thankful for that. And I don't know how many of you were blessed. Did you take a word from that? I mean, I, I spent all week kind of asking myself my question of who is in my we? Like, who am I allowing to, to be in that group that's helping make the decisions? And he, if you weren't here last week, go check out that sermon on Facebook and YouTube. I'm sure you'll be blessed by it. Today, we're going to jump back in to this series that we've been doing for quite a while now and just breaking down how we prove in our lives that we are believers, how we are the proof of Christ to other people. And that, that text is being taken from 2 Corinthians and we're using chapter number six and we're, we're talking about how the, Paul's kind of laying out, hey, I, I prove through my consistency, I, I, I prove through my purity, I prove through my understanding, I prove through my patience that I'm a child of God, that I am a, a, a person that's been transformed. Now, Paul had a very bad back story. Would you agree with that? He used to be Saul. For those of you that don't know, he was the murderer of people that believed in Christ and proclaimed Christ to be the son of God. Then he became those people who now believe in Christ and proclaim him to be the son of God. There's no doubt that Paul had war in his mind constantly for the things he used to do as to who he is now. And I don't know, we live in a generation that wants to really base who you are on what you used to be instead of letting Christ become uh, the the anthem of your life and changing you into who you are now. And so in here, he's walking around and he's like, look, I can't prove it because I'm good because you know who I used to be, but I can prove it by what Christ is doing in me. Now, how many of you would be honest right here and say, absent Christ and alone, there is no evidence of good in my life. I mean, there, there's a lot of weakness, a lot of, a lot of me and selfishness, and a lot of sin. Anybody say yes to that? Yeah. yeah. But how many of you would say, now that Christ is there, there's a war that goes on in me. Yeah. And that war battles between my desires and what God wants to do in my life. Anybody kind of go with that every single day? How many of you battle for patience? How many of you battled for that understanding, and, and there's times you want to do it your way, but you know that God is saying, hey, this is my word, this is my truth, and this is what works. And so as we go on this, and look at this, let's go back to verse number six, I believe it is, and this is where we've kind of been for the past few weeks. It says, we, we prove ourselves by our purity, um, we prove ourselves by our understanding, we prove ourselves by our patience, and today we're going to hit this word of our Kindness our kindness. Now, as we hit kindness, I know a lot of people say, oh, that's easy. But if that was so easy, why do we live in such a hateful world? I mean, there are a lot of people that are just mean and rude and nasty and and very, I tell it like it is, or this is the way I've always been. And you know, something very much real occurred to me just the other day. I was reading through Galatians, right? And by the way, if you want a good passage to go read through, check out Galatians. Galatians gives you this list of do's and don'ts. I mean, it makes it very clear, like, don't do this. And hey, matter of fact, if you are doing this, you're probably chasing your old sinful nature. Your old sinful nature does adultery, adultery, sexual sins, and all these other things. It makes you lie. It makes you gossip. How do I know I'm not pursuing Christ today? If I'm in that list. I mean, it's very easy. And matter of fact, right after that list, and that's where I want to pick up, is Matthew 5, verse 22. And if you know anything, Galatians, sorry, five twenty-two. If you know anything about this verse, this is the fruits of the Spirit, right? And it says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. So how do I know That I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to reign in my life. Which, by the way, in 2 Corinthians 6 is the next thing is that we're kind of surrendering to the power of the Holy Spirit. How do I know that the Spirit's moving in my life? It gives us this list. You have love. And not just the I love you. Not the words. You have the lifestyle. Matter of fact, love is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle of choice. It's a lifestyle of decision. It's a lifestyle of repetitive action. It's a lifestyle of intentionality. It's a lifestyle of action. It doesn't just happen. Love actually has a lot of attributes, and Paul kind of defines those in 1 Corinthians 13. It goes on, and he says, hey, he he produced joy. Now, let's go here. Um, Would you agree with me that we live in a victim-minded generation? Where it's, well, I deserve this because of what happened back then. And, and you hear of respirations and all these other things for things that happened centuries ago. And at some point, can I tell you this? Um, you and I have to get to a point in our lives where we cannot blame the past for our present. Now, does the past affect your present? Come on, yes. I mean, does, does father wounds really hurt? Yes, this, this rejection hurt, this lack of meaningful love, that is rejection hurt in your life. Absolutely, but can I tell you this, and I want you to really get this in. Uh, I heard this quote, I love this quote, while I am a product of my past, I do not have to be a prisoner of it. I, 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 I've been raised by it, I've been brought through it, but it doesn't have to be the cell that I live in the rest of my life. I can be different. I can become something new. A new family tree can, but generational curse can be broken and you can change into what Christ has desired for you to be. You do not have to be like the generations of your family. You do not have to be like yesterday. You can be made new. Now, I'm going to ask if you're talking to somebody else right now that you kind of focus in because this isn't your moment. All right? This is God's moment, so allow him to have it, and don't be a distraction to the people around you. Is that good enough to say? Is that cool? All right? Because some of you might not be distracting the people around you, but you definitely are distracting me, and I I gotta stay focused. All right? So stay in there. And I normally don't say that, but it's it's real. And um, if you're around that person, just tap them and say, stop. I I want some Jesus today. Is that that too straight? All right, here it is. Do it kindly. All right. But notice this, that love, joy, and peace don't come from anything we can produce. It comes from God. Look at the next thing, patience. I hear people say, I'm working on patience. Patience isn't something you work on. Patience is something you surrender to. It's a gift of the spirit. It's a fruit of the spirit. And then look at that next word. What does it say it? Kindness, this is where it really alerted me. A lot of people say, well, I'm a kind person, and I've learned this. That kindness doesn't come from our nature. We're not naturally kind. We're naturally self-centered. Yeah. Um, yesterday, I had somebody that was shadowing me all day, so I was showing land, and I had them in the car, and we were going around, and, um, and just talking to them about, hey, the, the art of like building relationship with clients doesn't mean that you're here to sell. You're not selling land. You're not selling a home. You're selling you. You're selling who you are. You're showing somebody this is me, and they're deciding today whether or not they're buying you. They're going to connect with you, trust you. And, and part of that means that I cannot go into today hoping that I make a paycheck. I go in today hoping that we can find what fits the need that they may have, which means swallow yourself. It's not about you today. It, it, it's not about what I can become. It's about hey, what, what is the need? What is, what's going on around me? And then I realized that naturally I get angry quickly. Anybody say me too to that? Naturally, I, I really think about the needs that I have rather than the needs of my family or, or the needs of other people. I, I literally shared with somebody the, just recently, they, they said, uh, you know, I'm tired. I might cancel this date with my wife. And I said, you better not. You better not go work all, all stinking day and then go home and say that what I did today was more important than the time I have with you. If you've planned this, suck it up, buttercup. You get in there and you enjoy, but you make sure you realize that their needs need to be met just as much as ours. How many of you understand that? Say yes. How many of us forget that? Say yes. One of the things that I do when I get home, and, and I'll give you a little tidbit. How many of you work 40 hours a week? Let's see a hand in the air. Or, um, how many of you are stay-at-home parents and you work 60 hours a week? All right, let's take a hand in the air. How many of you are gone for periods of time and you have to come back to your home? Uh, one of the best advices that I was ever given um, through a, a book that I was reading, I'm sorry, I cannot remember who did it, um, but they said there's a, a, there's a practice that you must take on when you're coming home after being gone all day. I'll help you out a lot with your relationships right here. They simply said, when you walk in the home, do not be on the phone. Do not be on the text messages. Do not be on social media. Take the phone, put the phone in your pocket, and the first three minutes, write that down, three minutes minutes. It doesn't have to be 30. It doesn't have to be an hour. But when you walk in the door, you make eye contact with every person you love in that home. You ask them how their day was. You listen to what they say. You engage in where they are. Give them three minutes. They'll let you go back to the phone. They'll let you finish your job. They'll let you do those things. But that three minutes of intentionality means that, hey, I have missed you. I haven't seen you. You matter to me. You're valid to me. I'm going to put effort into you. How many of you got that? Say, got it. Hey, how many of you have ever been at dinner, and the whole time you're at dinner, somebody's doing this? And what do you feel? Huh? Ignored? There's one. Somebody said neglected. What else? Insignificant. There's one. What else do you got? Replaced? Okay, that's good. What'd you say? Like you're a bother. Like you're getting on my nerves. What'd you say? You don't know? All right, I got you. All right, those are the things that we initially feel, but what's that result in? Anger, bitterness, grudges, lack of communication, not wanting to be a part. You don't, hey, write it down. If you make somebody feel slighted, cheated, or like not validated, they're automatically going to be mad. Automatically, anger is going to be the result. And that's why you sometimes hear, hey, I don't know if you love me. I don't know if you care. And you're like, I'm working 40 hours a week for you. They could care less about the 40 hours a week. Yes, they know the bills need to be paid. Yes, they're thankful for the food in the fridge. But they would take you over a paycheck any day of the week. How many of you understand? So in our lives, sometimes we come to this and we're like, I'm kind, but what does kindness mean? Number one, it means that I am in tune with the Holy Spirit and I'm allowing him to make me aware. Can I tell you, you cannot be kind without an awareness of the need. We live in a world right now that needs some kindness. That needs people to be a little bit more open, a little bit more happy, a little bit more glad to see you, and I am thankful you're part of my life. We need the world to have some people that are a little bit more vocal about what they truly believe about each other rather than assuming people know the good. We're living in a world that can vocalize the negative and assume that people know the good and therefore no good is being spoken, no good is being realized, and the world's getting more and more hateful, more and more envious, more and more sarcastic, more and more passive aggressive, and more and more separated. Kindness is something that says, hey, I look around me and I realize that I am not the only person in the room. Hopefully you notice that today. Kindness says that, hey, when I come into a room, it is not that room's job to entertain me. It is my job to be present and let God use me no matter where I am. It says, hey, I look for the person that seems a little quiet. I look for the person that seems a little backward. I look for the person that I've never seen before that might be a little bit awkward. How many of you would be honest and say that when you walk in for the first time to a new social situation or a new social scene, it makes you nervous? Anybody say yes to that? Slip your hand up in the air. So we got to keep in mind, especially like in a church on a Sunday, that the new ones that are walking in the door came in scared. They didn't come in free. Now you say they might be free in Christ. Yeah, but when they walk around, they don't know you. They don't know that, you know, your resting face looks like a serial killer. They don't know that. Does that make sense? They just see you and they're thinking, man, that, that person's, you know, I'm staying away from them and you could be the nicest person in the world. But the truth is, is kindness takes an intentionality, doesn't it? Kindness takes an obedience to the Holy Spirit. Kindness takes a few other things. Write it down. It takes a friendliness. And in and, and, and the King James Version of Proverbs 18, verse 24, it says a person that has friends must show themselves what? Friendly. I mean, uh, I, I, I will say this. Um, smiles attract people. Agree or disagree? Frowny faces, not so much. You know, like, Head, headphones in the ear, while walking through, doesn't really say, speak to me. Eyes down, head down doesn't really mean I want to engage with you. You say, well, I believe I'm a friendly person. You don't, you don't prove that by believing it. You prove it by doing something with that belief and actually being the person that gets out of their seat and goes and greets somebody being the person that says hi to people. You know, one of the favorite things, and, and, and uh, when we get people that are from other parts of the nation, that come to our nation, I remember showing a property one time to a guy from Chicago, and we were walking into a restaurant to eat lunch, and I opened the door and stepped back for him to go first, and he immediately paused and looked at me and said, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm just holding the door, man. He said, people don't do that where I'm from. You're, you're about to get stabbed. You're about to get robbed. Something bad's about to happen. I don't know where he lived in Chicago, but that's not all of Chicago. But that was his Chicago. And I thought, this is, some, how many of you notice, you, anybody else, the, the chronic or the habitual waver when you're going down the road? Anybody know what I'm talking about? How many of you are that person? Let's see it. You know, you're just waving at everybody. How many of you get your feelings hurt sometimes when people don't wave back? Yeah, I mean it's just, it's kind of a Southern culture thing, isn't it? You know, you'll get two fingers off the steering wheel. You know, if you drive a Jeep, you get a hand out the door. If you drive a motorcycle, it's a fist down or something. I mean, you're in a certain club if you're in a certain area, but there's something that happens to you when somebody in your neighborhood just waves on complete stranger. You say, well, you know, that that really doesn't affect me that much. It affects you more than you know. Because if you went through an entire day and nobody ever spoke to you, nobody ever made eye contact with you, and nobody ever greeted you or told you anything they thought about you that was positive, I promise you by the end of the day, you would mentally and emotionally be affected by that. I can't tell you how many times people will say, well, I, I, I left my church. Well, why did you leave your church? And here's why we ask that question. Number one, if you didn't heal from that hurt, you'll bring it here. Um, and just because you left doesn't change the problem. You know, I, I was talking with somebody. Where's, I'm going to pick on John. John, Let's pray for John. John's going through a hard time. His dad's um, ailing, right? And uh, John was talking and he said in one of our Monday night classes, he said, I, I really need to go see my dad. And he said, but sometimes I feel like if I just packed up and moved to Florida, things would be better. And I said, John, where's your dad live? Pennsylvania. All right. Does that make sense? Am I true, John? Pennsylvania. Oh, New York. That's right. New York. Sorry. up uh, Close enough. We'll call them cousins. All right. New York. So way up here, you're in Tennessee. Sometimes the enemy gets in our lives and says, if you would just go here, it'd be better. But what's the difference in eight hours and 12? The pain's still 12 hours away, just like it's eight hours away. You know, and we encourage him, go see him. And it's just hard to see your dad in that condition, isn't it? You know, sometimes it breaks your heart to, to see somebody go through what they go through. How many of you got friends going through hard times right now? And, and, and you want to call, you want to encourage, but you just don't know what to say. And, and so you think, well, it's, sometimes it's best just to give them some space and leave them alone. How many of you have ever thought that? Yes, it's happened in my life where it's like, okay, they may need some space. Can I tell you the worst thing that can happen to somebody in crisis is space and time alone? Now, I'm not saying that you need to be overly aggressive and I'm not saying that you need to like blow up the door. I'm not saying that you become annoying, but what I am simply saying is nobody should be left alone. Even in Job chapter six, verse 14, in the Holman Christian Standard Bible, it says that a despairing man deserves the loyalty of their friends, even if they forsake the Almighty, saying, hey, they could be living total antichrist in the way that they're living, but they still deserve the loyalty of somebody that cares. And kindness says, I'm going to find ways to be friendly. And not just to the people I know, but to the people I don't know. I had a teenager once tell me that I will never understand how much it impacted somebody in their family, us just inviting them to watch a certain thing. And I I thought to myself, what an easy thing to do and, and, and what an easy thing to say. But my goodness, we have no idea the eternal impact that those words can have. Just as much as your good words can have an internal impact, your bad words can have one too. And so I think in kindness, we've got to say, I'm going to be friendly. And friendly doesn't mean I sit and wait for them to come to me. Friendly doesn't wait and say, well, do they notice me? Friendly says, I will go to them. We have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Why? He came. He showed himself friendly. Number two, write this down. Kindness makes us generous. Now, this is a word that people hate in the church. Generosity. Because when I say generous, what do you first think of? Money. But is it generosity? It is money. But is that all that generosity is? By the way, you need to start practicing this verse. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Yeah, if you don't believe that, how many of you are very awkward opening presents in front of other people? It is literally, literally, if you hand me a present and I don't mean this ill, I will ask you, do you want me to open this now? And if the answer is yes, a panic sets into my heart, you know, because I feel like I got to, I got to respond a certain way or react a certain way and, and be a certain thing. How many of you else kind of know what I'm talking about not or long? Yeah. But can I tell you what I love to do is I love to make the other person panic as I give them a gift and want them to open it in front of me. Now, I don't necessarily want that, but how many of you have found this to be true that you get more joy in your heart? By being the person that's the giver than the taker. Absolutely. And God tries to actually emphasize that in financial things. Like when you give, it is a huge blessing. That's why God says, I don't want you to give from a begrudged heart. I want you to give from a joyful heart. You know, because there is something that happens when you can be generous. But let's be honest. You're not always able to be generous through a wallet. If that is you, say yes. But can I be generous with my time? Can I be generous with my effort? Yeah, look at this verse in in, in, in James, in James chapter number two, verses 15 through 18. Let's focus on this. The Bible says, suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? It goes on and it says, so you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, say this next next sentence with me, ready? It is dead and useless. Can I tell you this? You're, hey, God is good and a song is worthless if a heart doesn't have the ability to say, what's the need of the people around me? You're you're coming to an altar and praying and acting all super religious. You standing in a parking lot telling everybody everything you know about the Bible. Hey, great. You have faith to believe the word of God. Totally useless unless you've got some deeds to back it up. Faith without works is dead. Thank good you get faith first, but from faith, we get the ability to say, I care about other people and I want to be generous. You want to know if you've got kindness in your life? Generosity is something you have to tame, not something that you have to make yourself do. You know, I, I, I've got to watch myself because sometimes, and, and, and here's the truth, I have a wife and three kids and I have to remember that I have to feed and take care of my wife and three kids and God is never going to use me to hurt them to help somebody else. And sometimes, and I almost hate to say this publicly, but I'm going to, I am the the softest target in the church for kid fundraisers. If your kid's in a fundraiser, we rarely say no, mainly because it always has to do with cookies and candies and all kinds of things. So let's not say that it's one-sided. The other day I came into my office and there was bags of nuts hanging on my door. And I was like, where did this come from? And they're like, you bought from some fundraiser at Mobile Life House. And I was like, okay. So, I mean, thank God there's a bounty from it. But the thing is, is I'm soft. here's, Here's the reality. Every time that I act without thinking about what God has given me in responsibility, I can let generosity become a hardship in my life. Are you with me? But we should be on that edge of, I give and want to give too much. Not that edge of, don't ask me to give. Don't ask me to do. You know, I'll say this. The number one ministry that suffers in every church that I know of. My wife's on these pastor's wives forums where they, they encourage each other as pastor's wives. And, and she said, Josh, this is in every church. The number one ministry hardest to staff is children's workers. It's, it, it's just, it's not a grace thing. It's in everything. You know, and a lot of people say, well, it's difficult. But here's the thing, like, um, if, if, if we looked at the church the size we are, 500 plus people, right? And, and, and I know that's not the largest in the county, and that's okay. We're not trying to be that. We're just grateful for what we have. You had 72, I want you to get that. No, I'm sorry, 77 children at church last week. 77 children. That is a lot of kids. How many of you agree with that? Say uh, amen to that. That's a lot. What a blessing. You know, and, and, and in that, like, you look at it and say, what a blessing. But I've been going to the kids. I've been talking to them. I mean, hey, why are you hanging out in big church and not children's church? You know, why are you doing these things? And I'm not going to give you their answers. But they're like, certain teachers, they absolutely... Love, we got a a, a dream team sitting on the front row right here, right? That the kids absolutely love, do a great job. We got a great children's speaker sitting right here. Yeah, I mean, all of you, we got some great ones. But you know what children can tell? The ones that actually care to be there and the ones that are forced. And and I'll say this all day long, I'd rather the forced ones quit and we overwork the compassionate ones than to have somebody walk in there and act like they are very much um, put out by having to teach those children. I'd rather the ones that go in there and they realize that kids are not quiet. Will you say that with me? Kids are not quiet. And to sit there and actually try to make them feel like they're in school is the worst thing you can possibly do. But you can use that energy for you. I remember at Bible school one time, our two and three year old class had 19 toddlers in it. And they were in a very small room. The girl came out with big eyes. You remember this? She said, What do I do? I said, I'm in with you. Let's go. So we went in there and it was on. I mean, it was trunk. I don't know if that's a word we use anymore. It was crazy in that room. All right, they were, they were all over the place. And, and, and so next thing you know, it's like, what do we do? And here I am walking in telling this person, I've got you. I walk in the room and I'm like, holy spirit, we need you. Like, like what do we do? And, and, and so what we realize is you, you, you don't sit there and try to get the kids to listen to you. You use what they have. How many times have you said in your life, I wish I had the energy that my kids have? Okay, so stop trying to take the energy out of them and use it for you. And so we sit down and we're like, all right, let's talk about David and Goliath. Who wants to be Goliath? Everybody wants to be the big dude. Everybody. And so how many of you remember those little songs of the sling and he, around and around? And so I was like, everybody get your slings out. Let's see it. What do you think a sling sounds like? Woo, woo, woo. You got some crazy things going. And I was like, everybody throw your stone. Literally got punched in the face. You know, They whipped it. Bam, there it is. It's like, okay, I, I know how Goliath felt. You know, like here it is. But you got this going. You don't teach a 20 minute lesson, you teach a five. And, and then you let them play. You're like, well, that's not the way I do things. Hey, ready? Here it is. Kindness means this it's not about you. Yeah. It's not about you. It's about getting the message across. You know, like I, I, how many of you have ever played airplane with your littles where you lay on your back, you got your feet up in the air, and you're holding their hands and you're flying them? And, 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 and so I'm trying to teach uh, Canaan uh, the story of Zacchaeus. That's a big word for a four-year-old. And, and, and so I'll put her on my legs and I'll fly her around and we'll sing that Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in, anybody know? For what? The Lord he wanted to see. And as the Lord was passing by, he saw Zacchaeus way up by and said, Zacchaeus, you come down. Canaan, why did he say come down? He wanted to go to his house. What do you want to do at his house? Eat. Do you like to eat? Yes. See, here's my thing. A lot of times we think kindness means get to me. And kindness means go to them. I mean, matter of fact, can we we look at this? If you would, I'm going to skip ahead to a verse in Titus chapter number three, verses four and five. Listen to this. But when God, our Savior, revealed his what? His kindness and love, he did what? Saved us, met us where we are, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out His Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior, because of His grace. He made us right in His sight and gave us confidence that we might inherit eternal life. You are not saved today because God said so. You are saved today because God was kind enough to do something about the condition you and I were in. He was merciful enough to meet us where we are. And kindness says, hey, I'm not about saying, where are you and where am I? Get to me and then we'll be friends. Kindness says, I'll meet you at your level. And so, matter of fact, if we want this, it's, it's not just generous and giving its time. It's, it's actually considerate. It's looking out the needs for others. There's enough people in our church, literally, that you should only have to do children's church once a month. And literally, all you'd have to do is echo a sermon they're being given and love the kids and care for the kids. And you will be hero. I was raised in a home that, that had God as terrible, but didn't have God in illustration. Y'all know maybe that, and I don't want to disrespect my family, especially my father since he's passed, but it was not the ideal living situation to hear about one God and never see him. Matter of fact, can I just tell you that as parents? If you go to church and you're one way and you're a different way at home, then be ready for the rebellion against God from your children. Because you are the closest evidence of God they see. Matter of fact, they, they are born trusting you in the way that we as parents should be deferring to God. Don't trust me, trust God. Oh, daddy's my hero. I remember thinking that. I, I, I went in first grade and, and, and one of the tests that, how many of y'all remember those like T-caps and little SAT tests and all these other things that you had to do? And, um, and I remember they said, you have to eat a hot breakfast because a hot breakfast apparently helps you test better and makes you more aware. How many of y'all remember these things? And I remember going to my dad and saying, dad, I have to eat a hot breakfast. What do you want me to do? And Um, I was first, second grade, and so he threw a couple s'mores Pop-Tarts in the toaster, and those things popped out, and I ate them. And the the teacher came in that day and said, how many of you ate a hot breakfast? And I raised my hand proudly, and and they said, what did you eat? And I said, I ate Pop-Tarts, and they said, that's not healthy. And I got in trouble and a spanking at school that day because they went against my dad. And I stood up, and I said, my dad said that that's healthy. How many of you remember that? When you were looking at them as the hero. And and, and the thing in good parenting is you understand that that innocence, and that's why the Bible says that they have to come to God as a child. A child has total abandonment and trust. A child literally will, that's why we have to train our children not to trust the guy with candy. Am I right? That's why we have to say don't get in a van with a stranger. Because a child, if you say, hey, literally, let's go outside and play, they're in. Because they are not aware of the dangers. They're not aware of the hurt. And and, and as a parent, we have to pivot. And I wasn't raised to where I saw God in home like I saw God and heard God in church. But I thank God for my children's workers. I thank God for my middle school director. And I very much thank God for my youth director. Because they would put me in the car. There was a man by the name of Richard Francis and literally put me in the car on And yes, you heard that right. I actually went fishing. The thing is, at the trout farm, though, they, you baited your hook with corn. It was a little cane pole. How many of you have ever been to a trout farm? You literally drop it in, the fish grabs it, you pull it up, they take it off. That's my kind of fishing right there. And so, yeah, he would take me all the time. I remember we'd go back to his house. He would always grill it. I hated fish then. So he'd throw a couple chicken tenders on the grill. And he and myself and about five other guys would either jump in a pool or go to his garage. He was building a Mustang, and I'll, I'll never remember him being underneath a Mustang working one day, sliding himself out, and said, boys, I'm gonna teach you something. Never let your friends be comfortable enough with you to be alone with your wife, and slid back under that car. He'd come back out with these nuggets, you know? And it's like, at that time, you're like 13, and you're like, what's he talking about? And then now that you're older, you realize, there was some good wisdom in that. He, he, he would come back out and he would say, hey, you, you, you got to watch how you do this. He would teach us, and I don't know if this is even legal and this is the live service. He would teach us how to build potato cannons, potato guns. Y'all remember those? Which I, I, apparently, I guess, is kind of like a bomb. And, and then he would take this old truck and he would drive it down the road and let us shoot it. And we'd hit that thing and boom, and it'd leave a dent and pull over. And he said, hey, I just wanted to show you what can happen when there's an enemy standing in the shadows trying to take you out in life out of nowhere you can get hit and look at the effect that lives on you. And that's what Satan wants to do to your life. And I remember sitting there in that visual. And I, 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 I hear people say all the time, my wife even says it, he can quote so much scripture. And I think to myself, thank God for my Awana teacher." The person that I didn't get it from home, but I definitely got it from church. And those will be the heroes of my life for the rest of my life. They shaped and formed and made the calling that God has on my life. And I'm telling you now, that doesn't come from somebody who feels obligated. That comes from somebody who's kind and says, I care about the needs of others. I care about how somebody feels. Andy Stanley, the sermon doesn't start from the stage. It starts from the parking lot with how people are made to feel when they get there. And I Look at that! And I think to myself, as we live in a generation that lacks consideration, don't we? Look at this verse, if you would, if I can even read it, Philippians two. I'm going to have to look at the screen. I got too much tears to read my notes. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Whew. That sentence right there can change your entire life. Don't be selfish and don't try to impress others. Be humble. Ready? thinking of others as what? Now, I have heard people take humility and misteach it here. Humility doesn't mean, and I've heard it. How many of you have ever heard the sermon? I'll be the doormat that they wipe their feet on to get into the God. No, God has never made you to be a doormat. Um, God has made you maybe to be the doorman, the door woman, the usher, but never the one that lays on the floor. You are not where they wipe their sins off. The cross did that for them. Jesus did that for them. You don't have to take the abuse and the hurts of other people. You don't get to be mean back to the people that are abusing and hurting you. But the truth is, is you don't have to be the punching bag. Jesus became that on the cross. It settled it all. You and I can be the ushers to God, but we don't have to be the savior. Thank God for that. But it says this, thinking of others is better than yourself. That's not thinking of myself as worthless or thinking of myself as less. Please get this. It means thinking... A little bit less about myself. I'm not thinking I'm worse than you. No, you and I have the same sin problem. You and I need the same savior and you and I have experienced the same grace and mercy of God. We are equal in the sight of God and you should be thankful for that. But the thing is, is I don't have to look at myself and say, oh, I'm a terrible person, I'm worse than, and oh, nobody will ever love me. No, 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 that's victim mindset. What this is simply saying is, hey, I want to think about you more than I think about me. What can I do for you? Not, what can you do for me? Didn't we have a president famously stand and say, ask not what your country can do for you. Come on, finish it. But what you can do for your country. And enlistment went nuts in the army and the armed forces because a man stood up in there and says, hey, it's not about you. In the words of Max Licato, it is not about us. It's about him. It's about Jesus. So let's stop making everything in life about who we are and let's start building up who he is. And when we do that, we realize that he thought of others better than himself. The son of man had nowhere to lay his head, but he created new sleeping arrangements for people who had been crippled, didn't he? He created new lives and different things. Are you with me? Say, got it. Look at at this. Let's keep reading. Go to the next verse. Don't look out only for your interest, but take an interest in others too. All right? It's like some of you in here, if I talk sports, you would just lean in. Some of you in here would get mad and think that we were super ungodly because we talked about sports. But if I were to talk about motors and engines, you'd be there. If I needed to ask you how to roof or build a house, you would be all about it. It's not that we're super unspiritual because we like something you don't like, and not that you're more spiritual because you don't have the same thing. It's just simply like, hey, you know what? I can't always only watch the movies I want to watch. All right? I am proud to say I've seen the notebook and PSI Love You. Anybody else seen those? All right, no? <laughs> no. DJ said no. He's he's bold without Rachel in here. (laughs) They're in your notes. All right, they're in your notes. Okay. One of my favorite dates that I ever had with my wife, we were in different states. It It was before we got married and... We put together little care packages and mailed them to each other with popcorn chocolates. The chocolates didn't work out too well in the mail, I guess, but the popcorn chocolates in that movie. And at the same time, at the same hour, we were going to sit down and watch this movie together 532 miles apart. We got on the phone and we watched that movie. I'll, I'll forever remember that. I got off that because the movie's not my favorite, but that movie is now in my favorite memories list because of what it did with me and her. That's a memory that it's captured forever. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, um, my wife does not care about Xbox at all. But I still send her a screenshot every time I get a W or a dub in Fortnite. Every single time I'll send it to her. I don't play much, but when I win, I take a shot of it and I'll send it to her. And every time she'll say, woohoo, good job. She don't care. I know she doesn't care. All right, but I'm a guy. I'm like, girl, look at my muscles. You know, like, here I am. Look at what I can do. I'm flexing. I'm winning in Fortnite. Boom, you married a man. (laughs) She don't care. But she'll she'll good job me. She doesn't send back the text saying, really? (laughs) I know probably in her mind it's a, really? But in her kindness, she's considerate. You think she enjoys doing my laundry? No, I've smelled some of it. You know, I, she's considerate. And, and, and I'm going to tell you this. You, you want people to know you love them? Be considerate. You want them to know that you, you literally care and you de- be considerate. Look at them and say, hey, you know what? We've watched a lot of the sappy. It's time to get some action and thriller in there. Yeah, yeah, watch new movies. All right? I'm not even gonna ask which kind Howard likes. (laughs) He probably like, do you like the sappy ones? You don't want me to say it. Huh? You watch her, don't you? There you go, that's the guy. Here's the thing listen, like, sometimes we gotta understand that not every event can be the event you like, and don't only show up for the ones you like, because you need to show up for the other people that like the ones you don't like. Because you're not going to the event for the event going to the event for what? The people. Listen, if you came into church and like, well, I'm desperate. Hey, we're so thankful you're here. But where your spiritual growth needs to get to is that church isn't the anthem of your faith. It's just a celebration. If it's the only place you're getting the Bible, then you're going to come in with a greater expectation. But if you've been getting God all week long, you're going to come in with a greater awareness and you're going to look around and say, I'm glad to see you too. You matter to me too. Hey, I heard you say this and I I just, I need to know you're okay. Hey, you're not yourself today. You know, it's hard to be aware of the needs of others when you're only focused on your own. And the Bible says take an interest in their interests too. Keep reading. You must have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. Though he was God, soak that in. All creation is praising you, built for you, evolving around you. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John 1 tells us all things were made by him and for him. And without him, nothing was made. He was God. That You could put a period there and this, that verse be okay. Because that's who he is. That's who he deserves to be. He deserves the praise. He deserves the glory. He deserves it all. Perfect, spotless. That's who he is. But look, at it doesn't stop there. He did not think equality of God is something to cling to. And can I say this? He didn't think that his position mattered more than you. He didn't think he needed to be right and you wrong. His position wasn't something, his equality wasn't something to cling to. So what did he do? Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. You say, well, they don't deserve my kindness. Neither did you deserve his. They, you don't know what they've done to me. True. And I really don't know what you've done to God. But the truth is all of us have done enough to not deserve to ever step foot into God's throne room. But by the grace of God, we'll all meet there one day and celebrate what Jesus Christ has done for us in his kindness. As we've read. Do you understand this? As, aren't you glad that God was considerate? And that while you were a sinner, Christ died for you. And it's like, how many people right now could be better people if somebody would just simply be kind to them the way they are? I I, I, listen anybody can say I love you to the person that loves you back It's a whole lot harder to love the enemy It's a whole lot harder to love the one that hates you It's a whole lot harder to love the one that disagrees with you But you want to know the people that make the most impact in the world The ones that are kind and love the unlovable and the unkind that go to the ones that nobody wants to go to, cares about the ones. And Jesus said, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me to drink. When I was in the hospital, you visited me. When I was in jail, you came. They said, we never did any of those things. He said, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. Any church can say we're the best church in the area and and have the best lights and the best singers and the best, best, best programs that you can possibly have. I'm going to be honest with you. I think we're going to get to heaven and realize that the best churches in the kingdom weren't the ones with the show. It was the ones with the go. And I literally looked at people and said, I love you where you are for who you are. And I will not let you stay there alone. How many of you have ever had somebody run in on your dark day? Somebody call on your broken moment. Somebody love you when you knew you were dirty. When you knew that you had strayed. How many of us have a testimony that in our darkness, a light came shining through? A person invaded, kindness invaded, love invaded, his goodness and his mercy invaded. And because of the invasion of the good things of God, you are not the same person, nor am I the same person that I used to be, because God's kindness can change anyone, including me, including you, and his kindness. And then lastly, we'll be done. It's merciful. Merciful is a different way of saying full of mercy, right? And Mercy says, I know what you deserve, but I'm not going to give you that today because if I only got what I deserved, I'd be in a very, very bad position. But I'm thankful that God withheld from me what I did deserve and gave me what I never deserved. Mercy is the withholding. You say, well, I have a right to get even. Aren't you glad Jesus doesn't think that way? Aren't you glad the Holy Spirit doesn't think that way, that in his kindness, he thinks you deserve a second, third, fourth, hundredth chance to get this right. Now, I I don't know about you, but kindness, while it takes a focus and intentionality, can be easy to get in the habit of, and it's simple to be kind, right? Like holding doors and saying hi and making eye contact, and you know, if God has blessed you generously, then Helping somebody get through a difficult month of their bills or helping somebody get through a difficult season and your kindness every time you bring groceries and donate them to a, a food pantry. Literally, I was here Tuesday because Libby's family is going through some hard things health wise right now. I'll be praying for her. That's why she's not here. And um, she normally runs that food pantry through the week. And um, I got a new respect and revived respect for her on Tuesday as I was the only one in there. And, and that doorbell would not stop. And, and, and probably 15 different people represented and families coming through that food pantry in one single day were fed by the generosity of your kindness. Can I tell you this? Kindness, and make this list, and we'll close, and we'll be done. Kindness never needs credit. Kindness never needs to be seen. It's not for show. If you're doing it for show, it's not kindness. It's performance, all right? You'll get some applause, and that's all you get, but when it's done behind the scenes, and nobody knows, and nobody sees, there's rewards in heaven, and God is keeping credit. You're laying up treasures with moth, and rust, and thieves don't break Kindness says it's not about me. It's about other people. And so you got to do this little gauge. Am I doing this so people can see me? Am I doing this to impress people? Humble yourselves. Get out of that selfishness and get back to the whole. I want to really be interested in them. I want to take an interest in who they are. One of the things I love to do is music. I love it. One of the things I realize is if we want to see music continued and grow, then we've got to invest in the talents and abilities of younger generations. And so one of the things that we're doing on Monday nights is a youth praise team. And on Sundays, even today after second service, we'll meet with our kids praise team. They'll actually sing a song for you next week. We've got a system of how they're rolling and doing. And we're investing into them. And we go into that room and we sing and we dance and we let them go. And we are watching their talents explode to where one day we will step back and see more talented people and more equipped people than we could ever be taking stages and praising God. Kindness says, let's promote The other, and it'd be okay with their success, and not try to keep them under our thumbs so we can contain our power. Kindness says, "How far can we get you down the road? I'm going to take you as far as I can until God gives you somebody else that can take you farther." You know, that's how I look at my kids. You know, as much as I don't want to admit it and I don't want it to happen and I have to repent of the murderous thoughts that I have when it comes to my daughter, at some point I'm going to take her as far as I can go and then I'm going to hand her hand to somebody else and by the grace of God and the mercy of God, that dude's going to take her further than I ever could. You think that's easy to think about? No, it's hard. But God in his kindness has a good man for her. And so until the good man for her that's going to be the rest of her life comes, May I be the good man for her that leads her to the one that will take her further. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm not going to vet him and vet his parents and stalk him and try to figure out everything. But the one thing I pray almost daily, driving my truck, first thing in the morning is, God, don't ever let me become God to my kids. Help me to stay humble enough to show them you and to be kind enough to keep their hearts tender to whatever it is you want to do in their lives. You know, I was looking at our little honesty. The girls that play the instruments and sing on Monday night have gotten really, really good. Really good. Got new ones joining and learning drums and Olivia tearing up a guitar and 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 about six or seven singers and, of course, Casey working with them, doing a great job on the keys and picking out songs. And I sat there and I thought to myself, one day, this group could be, like, amazing. And then I had this fear hit me of, well, what if they move away? We raise this talent and they move away. And in my fear, I want to stand and say, you're never allowed to leave. Right? Right? You're never allowed to leave. But in my calling, I have to be willing to say, God, we'll plant the seed and we'll water the seed. We'll nurture the seed. But when it grows, if you want to take it and put it on the other side of the world, then we'll consider that success because your kingdom just expanded. Enlarge our coast doesn't necessarily mean fill up our seats. It literally means let us be the church that inspires other people to be what God wants them to be when they leave the walls of this church every single time. And if that time you leave may be the last time you come, then we gotta be thankful for the race that we were able to run with you. But kindness will open doors. Not just literal open doors. It will open opportunities for you. You know, um, people will wanna work with you. People will want to promote you. They'll want to be around you. If you're not kind, it'll close doors. But the truth is, if that's the only reason you're being kind, then you're limiting possibilities. Kindness will open the doors for others. And they will grow because of you, and they will go because of you. One of the greatest honors we could ever have in our life is for somebody to stand on a stage or stand in front of their family one day and say, I thank God that he put John Doe in my life. That he put Jane Doe in my life. And because of them, my life changed. May that be the anthem so that they see Jesus And through kindness, they find salvation. Through his kindness and love, he saved us. Know this, the words you say and the things you do in the upcoming week will dictate someone's entire life. I've often said this, and I know this is heavy, but I'm gonna put it on you. Your snide remark at work could result in the beating that takes place at home that night. I've lived that. Your passive aggressive statement could be a wife getting abused, a husband getting left, child being neglected. And you're like, that's not on me. I really do believe you'll stand before God and find that a lot more is on us than we realize. Every idle word will be judged. And if we didn't show them Jesus, and if we didn't tell them about his love, if we didn't witness when we had that chance, their blood will be on our hands. Your words and actions matter. And that's why they wrote, let every thought, let every word, let the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be what? Pleasing to you. And then they give us this statement, let everything you do be done as if you're doing it for the Lord and not And if we lived that way, you would see a revival of emotional, mental, and spiritual stability taking over our area. And I think it's time we declare war on this mental, emotional, spiritual health crisis that we're seeing in America right now. And I, I don't know about you, but close your eyes and bow your heads. I hear this as I read this and I thought this. Remember that story in the Bible where God appears and says, who will go? Who shall I send? And then the, the dude says, I listened, I looked, right? And finally he said, here am I, Lord. Send me. Kindness costs you nothing but a surrender of yourself. It costs you nothing but a surrender selfishness. Hey, God, use me. It's easy to say, look how bad the world is. But is there any believer in the house today that would say, God, here am I. Let your light shine through me. May kindness billow through me. May the fruit of that spirit be made known through me. And may the people I come in contact with have a deeper desire for you through the kindness they experience through my life from the gifting of your Holy Spirit. Is there anybody here that would slip a hand in the air and say, God, here am I. Help me to be more kind. Convict me when I'm not. Help me to be more kind so that others around me, their interests can be met. Their validation can be found. Slip your hand in the air. Is that you? God, here I am. Help me to be kind. Amen. Stay in with me. Grab somebody's hand. Let's close in a word of prayer. Now Y'all realize this is a synopsis. It's a snapshot of kindness. I mean, we didn't get into the thing that kindness doesn't give you a right to say what you want to say. Sometimes you got to keep your mouth shut. We didn't go that far, right? How many of you have learned that kindness is expansive? Like you can always add to it. You can always grow. It's an area we could get better. You know, kindness and patience kind of go hand in hand. Struggling with patience, you're probably struggling with kindness. You know, it's it, it, so, God help me be kind. Might be, a hey God, I need to be a little bit more patient. I need to be a little bit more thankful. I have found this to be true. The people that know the blessings they have in their life have an easier way of giving them away, easier way of being happy for others, easier way of being kind. There's there's more to it than just saying, okay, I'm gonna walk out of here and be kind. It's like, God, no, I'm gonna learn your methods of being kind. Help me to to stay true to who you are. We do this by looking at Jesus, who didn't think it robbery, right? All right, let's pray together. Go grow in this. Make this your Bible study this week. What does kindness look like? What does it take? I promise you, if you were to even Google verses on kindness in the Bible, you'll get more than you can read in a week, right? Go study this. Don't just take it from here and say, I've determined to be more kind. Yeah, I've determined to be skinny. Not doing too great at that either. Now, I have started a diet. Let's just be honest with you. And it's gone. I'm down two pounds. All right, we're going. I'll celebrate that, right? But here's the thing. If I'm determined to get skinny when my willpower runs out, guess what? It's back to donuts, baby. That's the thing. It can't be. It's got to be a habit. It's got to be a life change. It can't be a determination. You can't walk out of here and saying, I'm determined to be kind. No. It's got to make me kind. Whittle me. Give me some growing seasons. And by the way, if you're trying to develop something in your life, you're going to go through a test to get there. Somebody's going to test your patience today. Somebody's going to cut you off in traffic today. Some student's going to run their mouth tomorrow. It's going to happen. Am I right? You're going to go home and you're going to be like, baby, I'm going to be kind. And she's going to say, I'll believe it when I see it. And you're going to be mad right off of that. (laughs) Am I right? Can I tell you this right now? The world doesn't know the change in you until you've lived it enough time to prove it true. And Paul didn't say, i prove it by this. He's been that for a while before this passage is written. Anybody can change right here in a moment. God can change your heart, transform you in a second, in a belief, in a confession, in a restoration. It happens. But don't demand that everybody recognize the change. Go prove it. Go live it. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your your goodness and your kindness. I pray that this will fall on humble hearts, open hearts, that we'll receive what it is that you have for us and that we'll put it into practice. Less of me, more of you. Less of me, more of them. God, help my focus and my mind to be on you and others. And through there, God, we know you promise joy, fulfillment, love. We know that comes in. And so I pray for those that, that committed their lives today to say, I'm going to step out in kindness. God, I pray for those that didn't commit it, that need more kindness in their life, that you'll, that conviction will continue until comfortable the way they are. God, I pray that as we leave, we become more aware of the people around us. We realize the power of our hug, our love. We realize the power of our, our, our presence in somebody's life. And not just that it's our power, but God, it makes your power evident and known. I pray that you'll raise a generation, and if not a generation, a church that's intentionally kind because we want others to see you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you. We love you.